Welcome to AZ Politicast. I'm Steve Goldstein. Former Wisconsin U.S. Senator Russ Feingold's name is probably most familiar to Arizonans because of his work with the late Senator John McCain on the campaign finance law that became commonly known as McCain-Feingold. Senator Feingold ultimately served three terms in the upper chamber. He's now the president of the American Constitution Society, an organization that aims to, among other things, quote, advocate for laws and legal systems that strengthen our democratic legitimacy, uphold the rule of law, and redress the founding failures of our Constitution and enduring inequities in our laws in pursuit of realized equality, end quote. Feingold also recently wrote a book emphasizing some of those themes. It's called The Constitution in Jeopardy, an unprecedented effort to rewrite our fundamental law and what we can do about it. I spoke with former Senator Feingold earlier. He was in the Valley to deliver the inaugural Constitution Day lecture at the Center for Constitutional Design at ASU's Sandra Day O'Connor College of Law. The title of his address was Amending the Constitution, Twin Jeopardies. My conversation with former Senator Feingold touched on his concerns about amending the Constitution, threats to some traditional institutions by way of a proposed constitutional convention, and a brief memory or two about the late Senator McCain. You can listen to it as AZ Politicast starts now. There are, I think, a lot of Americans who, if they hear the phrase constitutional convention, the very least they might find that's an interesting concept to at least explore. But I know that you have a lot of concern about one organization that it's trying to do something like that, but perhaps in a very inequitable way. What are your concerns about that? And what is this group we should know about? Well, Steve, that's almost a perfect statement of what's going on here. I mean, look, I I was on the Constitution subcommittee and chaired it in the United States Senate for many years. I had basically never heard of this until I started teaching law. But the fact is that under our Constitution, even though it's never been done, not only can the Constitution be amended by Congress uh, and then the states ratified, but it is possible for for there to be applications from two-thirds of the states calling for an overall constitutional convention. And there's a group called Convention of the States that's trying to get this done that is a very far-right, heavily funded organization that I think wants to really gut the United States Constitution and sort of return us back to the Articles of Confederations Day days, where you weaken the federal government to the point where you can't even solve problems. So uh, this is what uh, I've written a book about, along with a student of my former student of mine, Peter Prindeville, because we think people should be aware of the danger of it. Should amending the Constitution in some way be changed? Should it be more nimble? And if so. Are there things that we could, some modifications we could make that wouldn't concern you in quite the same way as this other group is sort of proposing? We're going to talk about the twin jeopardies. One of the jeopardies is the one I just mentioned. The Constitution's in jeopardy because this kind of inequitable, very sort of malapportioned uh, convention could be called and, and really send our Constitution backward. But the other jeopardy is that it's so darn hard to amend our Constitution through the current rules for doing it through Congress We haven't been able to change things that are long overdue, like getting rid of the Electoral College, which is really a relic of the uh, 18th and 19th century. And so we think that there ought to be a way to do this a little more straightforwardly. Uh, You should have a a maybe lower standard. Uh, It's not a majority, but a super majority still in the Congress to propose an amendment. There should be real rules to govern the possibility of a constitutional convention. Uh, So you wouldn't have a a overall runaway convention, but a convention that is tied to certain topics that people think is important. And we think that when you ratify amendments, it shouldn't be done 
by state by state, but there should be a mechanism whereby the people in a state get to actually vote on a constitutional amendment through a referendum rather than just having it voted on by people who are often uh, in gerrymandered uh, state legislatures, such as the problem we have in our state of Wisconsin, which I'm from. So we do propose in the book ways to make this process easier, uh, but not too easy. And uh, that actually would require a constitutional amendment itself. So that's a, a challenging part of this. Well, it's fascinating to hear you say that as well, because I'm not saying that when you served in the Senate, it would have been easy to pull something like this together. But it certainly seems like the way at least our politics are would almost be impossible to get enough people on the same page. Is this something you're putting out there as as a an important idea, but one that you're hoping can actually gather momentum? Or as someone who served in, in the Senate for as long as you did, are you sort of putting it out there as a philosophical discussion as opposed to actually thinking something could get done? Something has to get done. We have to be able to fix this document or it's just going to ossify into something that doesn't reflect the world we live in, in the 21st century. And you're right. It, there was, was a time when you could have uh, discussions about constitutional amendments that would be challenging, but would be uh, bipartisan in nature. Uh, Birch Bayh, the former senator from Indiana, uh, in uh, the 1960s proposed getting rid of the Electoral College, and it passed the House of Representatives overwhelmingly <laughs> and, it, and on a bipartisan basis, and it almost got through the Senate, but it required two-thirds, and some of the Southern senators were afraid that this would hurt the, the Southern states somehow, so it didn't get through. But it was not a you know Republican versus Democrat or right-wing versus left-wing kind of discussion. We don't even have a right to vote in the Constitution. We don't have any provision like most countries do now to protect the environment. I like to joke and say, you know, the founders that worked so hard in Philadelphia over 200 years ago didn't do a very good job on climate change. They didn't know what it was. So sometimes you have to, to amend a document like this. So that's, that's, what the, uh, that's what the challenge is. And it seems like the process has to be improved. Uh, for it to ever work, especially in the kind of context that we have right now, as you've pointed out. Well, going back to what you said about climate change, I mean, this is a situation where the phrase living document is often used. And yet there are times I'm not sure if, I guess, depending on what someone feels in one particular sense, that's either a good thing or a pejorative term, depending on who's saying it, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, it should be a living document. It should, re it should obviously be true to the purpose of this country and the contract that we all, that the country entered into but it has to reflect the living people of the 21st century. And the fact that we now have a very diverse country and this document has to be interpreted to fit the times we live in or it becomes useless and meaningless and it's manipulated as it is being manipulated by people on the far right claiming that they know exactly what the founding fathers would have done with regard to certain issues. And they're trying to take us back to a very conservative era. Uh, in fact, they're taking back to, to an era that never even really existed. Uh, and they're making up, they're making up a lot of stuff. And it's important that the constitution be clarified in some of these issues and a good amending process would be appropriate, but not a constitutional convention like the convention of the states people want, where they want to bring everybody together. They would be conservatives to, uh, chosen by conservative state legislatures, and they would simply vote on a majority vote, one vote per state. So the Constitution would be determined by, you know, California having the same vote as Vermont. And that can't be the way to go at, at this time in our country. So when I think about the organization you're talking about, the far right group you mentioned, 
where does that push for this sort of constitutional convention fit for you amidst what a lot of us have considered to be a tax on some of this country's traditional institutions that became a little bit more blatant, let's say, in the past seven or eight years, not to say it wasn't there to begin with. Here in Arizona, when former President Trump was trying to get former Vice President Pence to take some action that he didn't take, and Arizona had a group of so-called fake electors ready to go, how much does all of this fit into your general concerns about the Constitution and, and where it is to actually have it uh, possible to amend it to perhaps avoid some of these more extremes? Well, I'll tell you that it, that all fits together, and it's not by chance. It's the same people mm -hmm. who are pushing things that led to January 6th, like John Eastman. He's a huge advocate of this thing, and one of the theoreticians behind it, and he was a theoretician behind what they tried to do on January 6th. This independent state legislature theory that they put to the Supreme Court last year, they're trying to say that even if the people of the state vote a certain way, even if the Supreme Court of the state votes a certain or decides a certain way, that the legislature can go ahead and do whatever it wants. I mean, these are in some ways harebrained ideas, but that what it is, it is is an attempt by a minority of Americans who don't like the diversity of this country to figure out a straitjacket on this country that doesn't reflect the will of the people. Constitution that was written in Philadelphia in 1787 to 1789 does not begin with the words, we the states. It says, we the people. And that is a critical distinction because our government wasn't working at all for a number of years after the revolution under the Articles of Confederation because each state had a veto. So they're trying to take us back to an era uh, that does not reflect the country that we live in today and it would be an enormous mistake. So this is just about retaining power. Well, I think it is. It's retaining yeah. power by a minority of uh, mostly uh, white Americans who are uh, in the belief that somehow they're entitled to keep control, even though this country has to be a place where uh, the power of this country is shared among all the different groups that live here. That's our future. Uh, and to use this constitutional provision to try to straightjacket our system and not fix the problems that we have in this country uh, is extremely dangerous. Under the proposals that they passed in the mock conventions that they've held in recent years, uh, they would uh, gut the ability of the federal government, uh, the Congress, to deal with issues like COVID. They would make sure that agencies like the Environmental Protection Agency couldn't deal with climate change or clean water issues. Uh, and this would be uh, a real disaster if we could not, as a country, come together to deal with problems that cannot simply be handled on a state-by-state -state basis. You mentioned your book. Could we spend another minute or two with some specifics that you and your co-author talked about as far as better, more efficient ways to amend the Constitution? Yeah, we think that um, the amendments should be ratified by popular referendum. So you would have both a majority vote in a majority of states, but also a national referendum on a constitutional amendment so that there would be a real popular approval of it. We think that's important. We think that there ought to be lower vote thresholds uh, for doing it through Congress, uh, not majority, but perhaps somewhat lower, like 60%. Uh, another possibility is you could get it by a majority vote, but it would have to be approved in two separate Congresses. Uh, in my state of Wisconsin, to have a constitutional amendment go to the people, two different legislatures have to vote for it, but it doesn't have to be a super majority. We think that, um, that there has to be some kind of rule where a convention can be bound to a series of topics and can't just run amok. In other words, it might be about the Electoral College, or it might be about a balanced budget amendment, or two or three things 
term limits, whatever it might be, but not allowing it to just become a general attempt to undo the Constitution itself. Uh, if people really want that, so be it. That could be a, put in the applications for the for the Constitutional Convention, but that's not what they want to do. What they want to do is use the claim they're just going for narrow topics, and then they would open it up, as they have at their mock sessions, to an overall attack uh, on the government and anything else they want to put in there. We think there ought to be some rules for this. Right now, there are no rules. And James Madison commented at the time when this provision was put in the last few days of the Constitutional Convention, he said, I'm very concerned about the lack of rules, of topic or quorum. And he was worried that it, it really wasn't workable because there really are no rules for this thing. That's what's so scary about it. A few minutes left in my conversation with former U.S. Senator Russ Feingold, president of the American Constitution Society. Senator, you mentioned January 6th affected many, if not all of us. But there were people, obviously, whether it's Capitol Police or members of the House or members of the Senate, who were directly affected by that and really were in danger that day. I wonder how much did those events, both from a philosophical standpoint, but also from a visceral standpoint, scare you, worry you, concern you? Well, I'm very concerned. It's interesting for me to, to make the contrast because I happen to be sitting in my D.C. apartment, which is literally just a couple hundred mm -hmm. yards from where I was on, from, from uh, you know, the, it was the apartment I was in on September 11th. And I remember that feeling of, of the fear and danger and the possibility that we were had to evacuate from this apartment and go through that whole experience. That was one thing, to have foreign enemies do that to us. It was another thing on this same ground, in the, right up front, the, outside the window that I'm looking out of right now, to know that Americans attacked their own government and tried to achieve a coup d'etat. I'm very concerned about political violence in this country. I, it's unrecognizable to me, the level of it. Uh, and, and I'm afraid the goal is to intimidate people into fear and to not want to stand up for their democracy because it's pretty scary when people are going around uh, with, with uh, platforms for hanging people and all kinds of weapons and, and attacking uh, our seat of government. We certainly saw a lot of that here in Arizona when attempts were made to Overturn the 2020 election, recount. Um, a lot of people who've been labeled grifters just try, they know that they're, they didn't actually win an election, but they feel like they want to keep themselves in the spotlight. So that's something that obviously is of direct concern here as well. Absolutely. You served three terms in the US Senate. Your name was on obviously some legislation near and dear to people in Arizona with McCain Feingold, yeah. but was the, the Senate a more effective body when you were in it? Oh, definitely. By the way, one of McCain's favorite jokes, he had about 10 jokes. And and one of them was, ah, people in Wisconsin think Feingold's first name is McCain, uh, which I thought it was pretty funny. Yeah. But yes, clearly it was better then. It, 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 there used to be this attitude that if you really were a good senator, that you would learn how to do bills with members of the other party. And lots of people did. I got to be honest with you, when Hillary Clinton came in in 2000, she announced that she was going to work with as many Republican senators as possible. And she went and did a project with almost every single one of them, uh, some kind of a bill. So, you know, I found that I was able to work with Republican senators on certain issues, but not other ones. For example, I was very involved with Africa issues on the Foreign Relations Committee. Wonderful relationship with the various Republicans who were involved with that as well. And of course, famously, I did, I did many bills with Senator McCain. But there were other senators uh, like Olympia Snow and Susan Collins from Maine and others 
Uh, in fact, the, the way we did it, John and I did, was we wanted to add support to the bill, but we the campaign finance bill. But the rule we had was if you added one Democrat, you had to add a Republican at the same time, <laughs> okay. vice versa. So I called it the animals go two by two. You know, we don't, you don't, <laughs> you don't, you don't sort of make it lopsided. So yeah, it was much better then. And in fact, um, you know, our bill was sort of the model of the kind of way you could do it. Well, and finally, how much, you know, without blaming voters, because I know that's not what we should be doing. I'm a voter. I don't want to get blamed for things necessarily. But is there, how much of it does come down to expectations of voters, whether it's because they're party base or because they have an R or D after their name, whatever it may be. Because I recall just one quick anecdote. I've been doing this for a long time in Arizona. And I remember talking to Senator John Kyle a couple of times. And I, I worked in public radio for many years, and Senator Kyle was not necessarily beloved by our audience, let's say, but he would come on and talk with me. And I asked him at one point about some efforts being made about immigration reform. And at the time, Democrats had the majority in the Senate, and he said that he was getting calls and emails from constituents that they were angry that he was talking with Senator Ted Kennedy. And he said, right. this is how our system works. He has the majority in order for me to get anything done for Arizona. I'm going to talk to Senator Kennedy. Sorry about that. And so it's one of those things where I wonder how much harder does it make it for partisan vote for you when they're in the past or even currently for senators now, when partisan voters have certain expectations that, you know, you don't bend because then you're not pure, you're not uh, holding to principles, whatever it may be. Well, I mean, everything you said is incredibly insightful. And that is as well. By the way, John Kyle was exactly that kind of person. He was very conservative, but he was always willing to talk and he always wanted to, to delve in and look at the merits of issues. And he was an, a good adversary, but he also, if he was on your side, he was great. So I think that it was a very different uh, time. And uh, I remember working on uh, trying to change an immigration bill with two very conservative Republican senators, uh, uh, Senator DeWine, who's now governor of Ohio, and Senator Spencer Abraham of Michigan. Uh, these guys were super conservative, but the three of us came together uh, on the committee to say, look, some of this stuff that's being proposed doesn't make sense. And we won. We defeated uh, other Republican senators who were trying to do a bill that I think was was very mistaken. So that's the way it worked in those days. And it was very exciting. I have to say, even though I don't like to say it, that it was not the senators who decided to suddenly become partisan. You were right. People, the people in certain states, in certain situations, started to demand that members of the Congress, Senate particularly Republicans, not work with Democrats. I remember I was at a town meeting. A lot of people were mad at me in a very conservative county. They said that I was too liberal and, uh, you know, that I was you know, wanted worker on climate change. And I said, well, Lindsey Graham is working with John Kerry on a climate change bill. And they all screamed at me, oh, Graham's just a rhino, a Republican in name only. And they, they were attacking him because he was at the time. No, he's not. But at the time, he was actually trying to uh, work with the other side. That was considered what you did if you were a good senator. Now, people punish people for working with the other side. They threaten to run somebody in the primary against you. And in fact, Richard Luger of Indiana, a pretty conservative and good senator, was thrown out of the Senate, a Republican, because he was considered to be reasonable with regard to Democrats. So I hate to say it, but I think the people have demanded this and we need people to go back to demanding what they used to demand, which is they used to say to me, look, you might be a Democrat or Republican, but all I really care about is that after the election, you go and work together. Former U.S. Senator Russ Feingold, president of the American Constitution Society. Thank you so much for the time. Great to talk with you. Excellent show. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. 
Special thanks to the former U.S. Senator from Wisconsin, Russ Feingold. He was in the Valley to deliver the inaugural Constitution Day Lecture at the Center for Constitutional Design at ASU's Sandra Day O'Connor College of Law. And that's all for this edition of AZ Politicast. To listen to previous episodes, please search Apple Podcasts and Spotify. When you find AZ Politicast, I hope you'll subscribe, rate, and review. To give me guests and topic suggestions, please send an email to azpoliticast at gmail.com. That's azpoliticast at gmail.com. Music for this podcast is from Epidemic Sound. I'm Steve Goldstein. Thanks for listening to AZ Politicast.